So it doesn't matter what you're using, whether it be a dating application or a spell checker, they're all somewhere using some level of machine learning nowadays. And so as a developer, you're more and more faced with the challenge of, well, how do I integrate some of these things into my application? Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and over the next 30-ish minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take an area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at some of the key emerging technologies that everyone seems to be talking about, such as blockchain, quantum computing, and machine learning. We'll be taking a look at what they are and how they might be utilized by organizations today and their potential impact in the future. Joining me today to discuss this is Craig Lazinski, Softcat's Chief Technologist for Data and Emerging Technologies, and Martin Beebe, Principal Advocate at AWS. Thank you for joining me today. Now, before we get on with the show, uh, it's time for the most important question that you'll be asked today. If you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be and why there is a winner? Craig. How are you going for me first? This is going to be super awkward as well because I'm wearing a T-shirt of a band and I'm not going to pick one of their albums. So that's going to get super awkward. Um, No, it would be uh, Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age. Good album. Martin. (laughs) <laughs> Desperately searching iTunes library, other other libraries are available. No, the, the problem is like I, I can't actually remember any album titles. Immediately as you ask that question, I'm like, I really can't remember what an album title. I don't listen to albums anymore, and I've completely lost all. It would be something by Incubus, but I'm really not sure what it would be. Right. Okay. So uh, because you haven't the best an of, album, the best of Incubus, <laughs> <laughs> because you you've not picked an album, there. your your, de- your default choice is now. That's what I call music forty five, <laughs> um, which means which that, is a, um, I'm happy with that. It's uh, a classic, uh, yeah. uh, great great compilation. Have we got um, cassettes, <laughs> yeah, only on cassette, <laughs> of course. Um, uh, so gonna have to go with uh, Craig because he picked an actual album, but best of Incubus. Well, we'll, we'll Google that maybe. Cool, easy winner there. So, Craig, we've heard the word thrown around, but what exactly is blockchain? So, with a lot of emerging tech, the the reality versus the hype and the the marketing behind it is a little bit different. So, blockchain came really to the fore in terms of cryptocurrency. That was where it started getting mass attention. But effectively, uh, blockchain is a set of technologies where you have a a distributed ledger system, effectively. So one of the the key factors in blockchain is the way that you share it, the way that everything's put down in the ledger. So by creating blocks that are literally a chain of blocks and by how you write that, you create something that's designed to be immutable, that's designed to be single sourced and has certain benefits and and certain advantages within areas such as cryptocurrency. And it's had major implications for uh, the world of cryptocurrency, as you say, but how would it affect the wider tech industry? Firstly, it's an emerging technology and it's difficult to establish exactly where it is because outside of outside of cryptocurrency, it's not seen major impact. But we've seen, for example, HPE is trying to use blockchain to work improving their supply chain. Um, it's being used in things like guaranteeing supply chain and things like medicines. But blockchain in itself and blockchain-derived technologies have a, a wider impact. So I know I'm going to deliberately hand this hand this one over to Martin. There's certain applications where actually a database is kind of just better. And um, we're using blockchain where it doesn't really belong. And I know 
AWS guys worked and launched it, I think reInvent last year, QLDB? Yeah, so we QLDB is a, um, it has a lot of the features of blockchain sort of technology and the fact that you're you're sort of creating these, these blocks which are cryptographically secure and they are chained to one another in such that you can't then go and change any of the history of the transactions. So people are actually using this for things like cryptographically secure logs or logging systems. And what you often find when you speak to a customer is they well, I want a supply chain or I want a log of something that can't be changed by anyone, that I can sort of guarantee hasn't been altered or edited in any way. And what they find is that they don't actually necessarily need a blockchain as such, but they need something that's cryptographically secure and can guarantee that someone can't edit um, the transactions or the things that have gone into this this database effectively. And so often people start off thinking, well, I need a blockchain. And they, they realize very quickly that something like uh, the quantum ledger database, which is a service that we offer, actually offers the sorts of properties that they actually want in their system. But that's not to say that there aren't applications in commercial businesses which require um, blockchain. There's lots of different kinds of blockchain. One of them, um, which I've worked with quite heavily, is a thing called Hyperledger Fabric, which is a type of blockchain which doesn't have some of the properties that are required by cryptocurrency. So it doesn't have proof of work, for example, in the same way. Um, it uses less electricity, it's less, um, but it has some of, the, some of the properties and it allows you to add what we call smart contracts or pieces of code to the blockchain. So it's a distributed ledger which can execute code as well as just storing information and transactions. So there's, there's some really interesting sort of technologies around blockchain, which lots of commercial businesses, specifically in supply chain, but in lots of different places can use. Blockchain itself as a whole has been touted as like the most disruptive technology since the internet itself. Do you guys agree with that statement or? No, I don't, I don't agree that. I think every, every new technology that comes out is the, the best thing since sliced bread. The internet fundamentally has enabled something, something much broader, something that can never be predicted from the outset. And first of all, you can't, you can't make a prediction so early on in any technology stream. You know, the guys, the guys at DARPA weren't, looking around at what they were building and and same at CERN and going, this is going to be ginormous. This is going to be the internet. You know, tech predictions don't work like that. Predictions are are difficult to make and and to say that something's going to be as seismic as as transformative as the internet just isn't isn't the case. And also I think when you look at blockchain, it's not a a universal platform in the way that the internet is. It's not something that's a utility service in the same way. So the breadth of applications just aren't aren't there, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it, it's it's another way of storing information. It's fundamentally a database. I mean, if you want to get really excited about databases, then you can, but I don't think it's going to change the world necessarily. It'll change the kinds of applications that we can build, but someone's going to be building other things, something on top of it, maybe, or utilizing it somehow, which creates new ways of doing it. But blockchain in itself, at the moment, a series of Go applications is not something that's going to change the world in and of itself. Uh, so Martin, you mentioned that yourself uh, and AWS are familiar with aspects of blockchain. And Craig, you said that there are potential use cases within organizations already. So what is the actual state of blockchain today? Is, is there anything that's going to happen over the next few years that will make blockchain a, a fundamental technology for business? I think the state of it today is that it's much simpler to use than it was just two or three years ago. So when I first got involved in, in blockchain and was using Hyperledger Fabric, you had to start building machines, you'd have to go and download the open source code, then you'd have to create the network, then you'd have to create a consortium, you'd have to get other people to create that infrastructure too, join your consortium, 
there was lots of, you'd have to choose all of the different sort of technology aspects of it. It was really difficult to set up. It took me about four weeks to set up my first Hyperledger consortium. Now it's offered by AWS and other cloud vendors as a, as a service, Hyperledger Fabric. And so if you want to start experimenting today, it's a case of going onto the console, creating a network, and you can start working with it and start coding against it. And then also if you wanted something which is more like a ledger, a distributed ledger, then um, we have the, the quantum um, distributed ledger service, which again is a service that you can just go use and you can use it just like you can any other database service from AWS. And so the state of it today is that it's much, much more accessible than it was previously. And we're starting to see companies embracing it and starting to use it in their different applications. And would you say, uh, are there any disadvantages to blockchain, perhaps? Like, like anything, it's not a it's not a defined thing that's that's binary. So the risk is of getting really hyped up about blockchain and deciding to go all in full bore on it. And certain fintech companies have, have gone in there and they've decided they're going to be a blockchain company and it has to be very defined as what they're doing. But actually they might be better off with any number of different database services. They might be you know missing the really key factor. It's all about use case. And certainly it's as blockchain has become a lot more accessible and a lot easier to, to get to grips with, that opens up the wider use cases because it's reducing that inertia. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's the right in the right solution for for every sort of application. It has to be taken on a on a case-by-case basis. One of the big misunderstandings that I get from lots of people when they talk about blockchain, they'll say, but doesn't blockchain use a, a lot of electricity? Like you can't use blockchain because it's it, it, the computation required to uh, mine the blocks is so intensive that it costs an awful lot of electricity. And that's true of certain blockchains. So cryptocurrencies where they require proof of work, that's something that they need to do. And it does require a lot of computational effort and therefore electricity. But then other blockchain technologies have different consensus algorithms, ones which are not proof of work which do not require so much electricity. So some of the assumptions that people make, oh, well, I could never use blockchain in my company because it would require tons of electricity. I hear that a lot from customers. It's a misunderstanding about different blockchain technologies. Not all blockchains require that or have that. So there are a lot of misunderstandings and most blockchains are very, very different from each other and the way that they operate. So you have to be very careful and clear about which one you're using. Okay. So we've had a look at what blockchain is, where it can be used, what it's currently being utilized for, and and, and potentially some of the disadvantages or advantages of using it within a company. Moving on from blockchain, let's take a look at uh, machine learning. Can we quickly define what machine learning is, Craig? <laughs> um, what are you going to say? It's machines that it's, learn. It's, yeah, it's teach, teaching computers. Yeah, it's how we, how we teach computers. And the, the differentiation in machine learning is you're taking, you're taking a training data set or historical data and you're you're teaching machines information without discrete programming and discrete instructions cool and martin from what you're seeing why is machine learning so prevalent and influential at the moment for developers you start to see the machine learning is becoming part of every kind of application. So it doesn't matter what you're using, whether it be a, a dating application or a spell checker, they're all somewhere using some level of machine learning nowadays. And so as a developer, you're more and more faced with the challenge of, well, how do I integrate some of these things into my application? And that's becoming easier and easier as well as models are developed by big companies like AWS, which make it easy to just access those models as services. Um, you can start doing really interesting things like 
taking an image and recognizing what's in that image and seeing faces and stuff. So the services are becoming more and more prevalent and you can do more and more things with these services. But what I find is becoming more and more interesting is it's not just a case of me providing a piece of data to a trained model and it giving me back some information. We're getting to the point now where we're also able to give us our own historic data to services and then those services intelligently make predictions based upon our own data without me requiring any machine learning knowledge myself. So we have, for example, a service called a recommendation service where you can basically build an Amazon.com style recommendation system. So if you bought this, then you'll be interested in this. You can build that whole thing just by using a service, by providing your sales data, and then it will make predictions Uh, for you. And all you need to do is call an API. You don't actually need to learn anything about machine learning. So what I think is happening for developers is becoming simpler and easier. And then like getting into more interesting avenues and niches. So for example, something I'm really interested in at the moment is this, a new service from AWS called CodeGuru, which is basically a code review system. So I write a piece of code as a developer. I'm a software developer. Now, ordinarily, I go and speak to uh, someone else on my team once I've finished it and checked it in, and they do what we call a code review. They look at the code. They ascertain whether it's bad or good, what needs changing. And um, CodeGuru allows me to check it in, and a computer effectively looks at my code and makes recommendations about how I can improve it. And that is closing the loop and tightening that loop for developers and making us more efficient and um, highlighting problems that we might have in our code, uh, things that we can improve upon. So what I think is becoming more interesting today with machine learning is that it's becoming easier and easier and easier to use it inside of applications. And it's starting to benefit people in all kinds of different niches and different avenues. Cool. And obviously, you've you've been through a bit about how uh, the developers of today are using it. So is it just a time-saving tool, really? Or are there more things they can do with I think, I think it's a superpower, not just a, a time saver. It's a literal a superpower. So I can do things today that I physically couldn't have done previously because I can put the world's computational power to solve a problem. I can't, for example, look over a billion records in a database and make predictions about what those things mean, but a computer can. So it's giving me capabilities that I didn't previously have. So now a developer using something like CodeGuru is now a better developer. So you get to the point where actually it's impossible to do your job without utilizing this service as well. And I think that's where the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning comes when it combines the sort of creativity of humans with the incredible power and the superpowers that machine learning can give us. So it's that combination which allows us to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do previously. And are there other organizations that can give the same services and things like that? So a lot of the foundations of, of machine learning and AI technologies go way back, and we, we've discussed this kind of stuff before in terms of the origins, but it all comes from the scientific community, from the research community, and and is based a lot in, in mathematics. And sometimes we potentially, as, a, as a, an industry, suggest that things are machine learning and AI when they're actually just linear regression, but you know, it kind of adds a few zeros onto a, a paycheck for some people. So that, that does happen. But there's definitely a universality and there's a lot of open source and community driven projects in, in the ML and AI, so AI space. But for organizations, it's about accessibility. So 
absolutely you can go and and build it yourself you can use services from a wide range of organizations or you can you can plug into embedded services which is in increasingly what we're seeing particularly on on the inference side so making those decisions being able to look at historical data rather than fully building the custom models we're starting to see you now we mentioned databases in the in the blockchain segment I, I do predict that these types of services are going to become these sort of underpinning application services in the same way that a database is, in that if you currently have CCTV cameras, you'll be able to tap into computer vision services that may be offered by that vendor, by your cloud provider, by existing software that you already have. Okay, and then how can organizations adopt and implement machine learning today? Is that something they're able to do easily? They're probably using it already. I mean, if you're using a SaaS application that's been built in the last five years, you're using machine learning some way. I was writing um, a blog post this morning. I use Grammarly heavily. Grammarly's a great, it's an AWS customer. And um, when you're writing, um, basically Grammarly makes grammar suggestions and spelling suggestions. They are doing all of that by using an AWS service called SageMaker, and they've built a custom model which they can basically use their historical grammar information um, and spelling information to generate um, predictions on what you're meant to be typing or how you, or, or the spellings that you're meant to be using. Great customer thing that I, I use all of the time, and it's just part of my workflow. I didn't need to know that it was machine learning; it just is. And you find that all the time. If you're using a laptop, if you're using a phone, um, if you're taking photographs on your iPhone, um, you'll notice that they're all being tagged. So if you do a search on your uh, on your photos, it's using machine learning to do all the tagging and metadata information. It's, it's all around us. So I think you'll find that most organizations are using it all the time and it's becoming more and more commonplace. And then people can make decisions about, you know, I've got a specific use case where it would be great if I could see a little bit more about that image or, or understanding a little bit more about the context and they can use machine learning to do that. So for example, Disney have got this huge back catalog of video and animation, and they've recently done a project whereby they use machine learning to basically catalog and create metadata on all of that content so that their animators and their producers and directors can easily search by tag name to find other examples of that work previously. So if they want to know something specific about how Finding Nemo, how Nemo moves in Finding Nemo, they can search for all the scenes where Nemo is in and where he's doing a certain movement. And then they can use that to base the future animations of their other work. So they're using machine learning to do things that would take years for humans to do, but now putting it at the, the fingertips of those designers, uh, those animators, those directors, so that they can use it to create better work in the future. Well, so if, if that's how it's being used now, looking towards the future, how, how do you see machine learning evolving? Will there be any crossover with perhaps blockchain or how do you see it? Yeah, so I think the possibilities of machine learning and, and AI as a set of technologies, because it's a fundamentally different approach to, to how we interact with machines and, and how machines become more cognitive, more human and more useful to us as humans. Um, this is only going to get broader and broader. And there will, be, there will be peaks and troughs. There are certainly certain ethical implications and considerations around the, the applications of the technology. But the fundamental principles and the, the building blocks are going to continue to spread and, and be very, very important. I would say with uh, machine learning and blockchain, that's a really in interesting sort of uh, segue and, and sort of intersection. But there's there's probably 
I, I generally think that most technologies don't exist in bubbles. They all, all often are, are made part of, of bigger systems. And you can absolutely see someone, for example, using machine learning in conjunction with something like blockchain to like list and log all of the ways that a, a machine learning algorithm might have made or come to a decision. Because that's one of the, the ethical problems with machine learning is that we're thinking about, well, how did we come to or arrive at a specific prediction or output? And um, there's lots of work and lots of companies which are going into trying to make that auditable. So that would be some examples where you might use blockchain and, and, and machine learning together, but it would be kind of niche. <laughs> okay, so we've looked at machine learning a little bit deeper there. Uh, Craig, something you mentioned in our Tech Predictions episode earlier this year, episode one of this season, uh, you mentioned that uh, we might be moving closer to the potential of a commercially viable quantum computer. Where do we stand with quantum computing at the moment? So um, in terms of quantum computing, there's been, there's been potentially a lot of hype and a lot of information about have we achieved quantum supremacy from Google. Honeywell have come up with some really interesting hardware recently. There's been some great papers. There is a risk that we're, we're overhyping these, these technologies, and I, I'm aware I'm not helping that and potentially you know, setting, setting about what we call a quantum winter. So there, there are companies out there who like, um, like D-Wave, like Rigetti, like IonQ, who are, are building commercially available quantum computing technology are, are making it available to individuals. This is not no longer trapped in, in purely in laboratories and purely in research institutions. We are starting to see commercialization of, of quantum tech. And with all of those three that you mentioned, D-Wave, INQ and Rigetti, we actually have all of those available today in AWS. So if you want to, you can go into the AWS console, you can build um, quantum algorithms, you can test them against simulators. And then if you want to move to that next stage, you can actually run it on those physical pieces of hardware physically, which we operate and maintain in super chilled rooms or near vacuum conditions. And so you can, you can play around with quantum computing today, but the reality is, before you get too excited about that, is that, is that we're probably a good 50 years away from actually having real tangible benefits from this, I think. It's, it's a long way off. This is not a blockchain or a machine learning sort of conversation. Quantum computing is, is much further away. It's going to require a ton of investment and, and research. And, and my company, AWS, we're doing a lot of that at the moment. But for the, re for the realities for most people, there won't be sort of direct commercial applications that are required for, you know, for a long time, I don't think. So quantum computing not necessarily having a big impact on organizations now of outside of quantum computing tech organizations. Yeah, precisely. Unless you're maybe, I mean, there are certain companies which are really going to be interested in what it could do and where it would change things massively. So um, if you've got, if you've got a, a problem, if you're trying to solve fluid dynamics, you've got a real computationally complicated problem, then you would be looking at quantum computing thinking, well, how can I utilize this? But for the vast majority of businesses up and down the country and around the world, they're not going to be finding, right, like a solid application, how they can integrate it with their SharePoint application, their system. You know, it's not it's not at that level yet. But it's um it's definitely something we're that kind of research stage, and there's interest going on, and you can start playing with this stuff. But it's very theoretical and far too academic, in my opinion. When you get into it, when you start using it, I've tried to build quantum algorithms, and have not really I've done the followed the tutorials, but don't really understand what I'm doing. I don't really understand necessarily the implications of it, and. Every time I try and pretend, I realize like it, my, my knowledge gets, uh, it gets uh, holes poked in it very, very quickly because it's a very complicated thing to try and understand. And we saw from our uh, Softcat Business Tech report last year that 
quite a lot of organizations are slightly hesitant to embrace emerging tech and new tech. How do you think something like, obviously, we're, as you said, we're a way off, but something like quantum computing can become relevant for organizations um, of all scales, not just the biggest tech companies or the biggest tech consumers? I think the biggest the biggest challenge that gonna, you're going to get with something like quantum initially for customers is going to be things like security. Um, we've mentioned blockchain. We've mentioned um, most companies require some kind of um, public-private key cryptography. All of that's potentially undermined by the ability to factor large integers. And so if quantum cube computers make that really easy and someone has access to a 200 qubit quantum computer, then they can undermine a lot of the current way that we do security. But with that said, at AWS, we already have um, quantum resilient cryptography. So if you look at some of the uh, stuff in um, the key management service that I was looking at yesterday, that we have examples of quantum res resilient algorithms, which can, so, you know, there's security companies, people like AWS are already thinking about these sorts of things and making these things available. So it's not necessarily a problem, but it's definitely something interesting. And if you're a sort of technologist like me, it's a super interesting thing to look at, but I don't think the, the broad applications are going to be that, that big for a while. Yeah, agreed. And I think a lot of the, the work that we're seeing done on quantum is at the moment getting ready for quantum. One of the, one of the big things that's going to, going to hold back with emerging tech and we're, we're seeing organizations struggling to adopt areas like blockchain and, and to do really clever stuff in data science and machine learning. Quantum, we are way further down down the line with that as as Marty mentioned you, know, you have to keep these things in near absolute zero condition temperatures they require cryogenic wiring there's no microsoft server quantum edition you can't just go although i dread to think what the licensing cost for that would be <laughs> um i'm sure i'm sure our microsoft team at, at softcat will have a lot of learning to do um on exactly how you license i'm presuming on a per qubit basis but that availability, that commercialization of being able to switch it on, we're starting to get there, but we're still a a huge way away from this being something that you can have in a regular data center that you can do conventional computation on. I think that's maybe one of the most interesting things. This is a technology that I don't think you will ever have in your own data center. I think it's only hyperscale providers that are able to provide that kind of um, you know, those super chilled conditions um, or the sort of near vacuum conditions that a super computer, uh, sorry, a quantum computer requires. So it's a really interesting from that point of view is that it, it might be the only, the only time which we ever see that sort of, that sort of computing, which isn't possible to do at home or isn't possible to do in your own data center. So we've had a quick sort of like blast through blockchain, machine learning and quantum computing. Is there anything else on the horizon that you think is going to sort of take over or that organizations will start to utilize uh, to benefit them? I'm, I'm going to go in my, my personal passion opinion, and this is something I've, I've mentioned and will continue to do so, is that I think we are starting to see a revolution in how we're using video. And a lot of that comes from computer vision and, and trends in machine learning. But the use of video as a universal ubiquitous sensor is, in my opinion, is going to explode over the next few years. We're seeing it being used in things like shelf replenishment in supermarkets in looking at, at design lines, looking at advertising and creating intelligent billboards that use video as a sensor to detect, to detect people, to detect images, to detect conditions. The ability to take vast streams of 4k 8k etc video to identify everything that's going on in there and to make assumptions predictions and derive information from that is going to be really significant and i think organizations are going to have to have a look at 
how they're designing their topologies, how they're designing their edge networks, how they're moving data flow, because video is is big data bandwidth, it's big file sizes, and that's going to have an impact on how we interact with all of our platforms as well as in our day-to-day. -day. Did you say that uh, organizations are already using or starting to use this? Absolutely, yes. There's, um, you take a look. Um, I know we're we're going we're going big on on Amazon, but they are quite a significant company. But and I'm, and I'm right here, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have we have Martin. So we're gonna we're gonna go through all the examples. But if you look at Amazon Go, the the supermarket and Alibaba have uh, similar projects out in in China as well. This ability to just stroll through a supermarket and walk out—that's all based on the intelligent use of, of video as a sensor. Um, and we're starting to see, you know, for example, in in autonomous vehicles, video and lidar are, are absolutely critical in that. I love—we actually have a thing in our team with uh, the Amazon Go store, which is it's right next to the the it's right next to all the buildings, the Amazon buildings. So whenever we're in Seattle, my team has a, an effort to do this where we take our, our Amazon Go mobile phone application and we have to go into Amazon Go store and get a Diet Coke and a chocolate bar in the shortest period of time because it tells you when you go in and then when you leave how long it took. And so I think our record currently stands at 36 seconds for going in, getting a Diet Coke and getting a chocolate bar and getting back out. But we basically take turns. <laughs> it's like a little race. <laughs> Sounds like you guys have loads of fun. <laughs> well, you know. Are, are you hiring? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm quite a quick runner and I do like Diet Coke. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. But I think we see this all the time. Video is used a lot more. Like I, I was um, looking at a project recently by Sky News and they were using some AWS server services uh, during the royal wedding when um, Sky News were filming all of the different people ar arriving. And with the royal wedding, some of them are really famous people, but some of them are kind of like famous, but you're not sure who they are. And so the editors were trying to find a way of, of, of making it uh, obvious to the viewer, like who was showing up. And so they were using a real-time stream of the uh, recording and then they were overlaying information about who the different people arriving at the royal wedding were in real time. And so that kind of like improved the, what the viewers were looking at and uh, and we've seen it in all sorts of different scenarios uh, with where you're taking real-time video streams and then like overlaying information. Six Nations Rugby is an example where AWS again were kind of using um, or trying to overlay uh, statistics about the game based upon the information they've retrieved from video streams during the Six Nation Rugby games. So it is, you're completely right, videos becoming more and more important. I'm working with video a lot more as a developer than I ever was fundamentally splitting up into images then working with images but generally it's it's still trying to do that in near real time is really difficult and made easier by some of these cloud services cool well we're about done with uh with technology the episode. yeah with, well, with technology in general <laughs> we don't, we've um, solved it lads yeah <laughs> we're done completing it um i think before we start maybe it would probably be useful we've been through what these things are blockchain machine learning quantum computing in quite some detail but um Craig, if you could sort of give us a quick 10-second summary of what they are and then which of the three is going to have the greatest impact on organizations right now. Sure. So blockchain is a group of distributed ledger-based systems that are cryptographically defined and that organizations are using in a variety of ways but still 
in in its infancy. Uh, machine learning is a different approach to how we how we program systems without using discrete programming, but using using information in historic data sets. And quantum computing is an alternative to classical computing, whereby you use quantum bits rather than conventional bits, and that has some very interesting impacts on how you can deal with factoring large integers and running computational tasks. Machine learning is the most impactful right now and has had the broadest impact and will continue to do so. Blockchain is a little bit further away from, from prime time, although there has been a lot of hype. We're now getting past the, the cryptocurrency phase and into commercial reality and seeing a lot of organizations taking blockchain or similar systems and similar technologies and, and using those in anger. And quantum computing is still a long way from having a very broad impact on organizations. But um, thanks to the work of people like Peter Shaw, we are starting to see preparations for it and starting to see commercial organizations like AWS working on quantum systems. Perfect. Well, that's it for another episode of Explain It. Craig, Martin, it's been great talking with you. Thank you very much for your time. If anything on this show has piqued your interest or you have any questions, please do get in touch, podcast at softcat.com. Also, don't forget to click subscribe so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes of Explain It wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Explain It from Softcats.